Well, hello, everybody. I'm so glad that you guys are here in person and those of you joining us online today. Hello, we love you. I'm giving you guys a hug through the camera right now. I'm giving you guys a hug in person. I'll actually give you a physical hug in person if you want one after the service. I'm so happy to see you guys. I love you. Um, we have been a church, uh, and our vision is to, be, to seek the one. Man, every time I say it now, we don't got the light on. Um, so... <laughs> Um, if we can get that light on. But to seek the one, to be like Jesus said, the good shepherd who leaves the 99 to go after the one, to seek the one. We want to be the kind of people like that, that Jesus is. And one really cool thing happened this last week. We did go to... Oh, hey, whoa, all right. Woo, I like cheers for that. Yeah, seek the one. One really cool thing happened um, on our way back from Phoenix. We were exhausted after three days there. Melissa and I were riding the light rail back from the airport, and we crammed onto the light rail. It was, it was full, and we sat next to this gal, and Melissa, like, tapped me on the shoulder. I'm like, what, what's going on? And she's like, I think she's crying. And this, this girl next to us had real big tears coming down the side of her face. And we're like, oh, we're so exhausted. See ya. Deal with it yourself, right? Isn't that what you feel, though, in those moments? You're like, oh, my gosh, I'm exhausted. But this, this mindset of seek the one isn't just about the one we've picked, but it's also like, is there somebody, is there one person around you who's hurting? Because guess what? There are hurting people around us all the time. All the time. And Melissa tapped her on the shoulder and said, are you okay? And she just started sobbing and telling this whole story about how her grandpa had just died after, in the last five months, four people in her life had died. And she was dealing with that and going home like by herself and was like, do you have anyone? Do you have anyone? And, and didn't have anyone. And so we were able to share with her, talk about Jesus with her, invite her to church. And I just want to remind you guys, there are people all around us who are hurting. Sometimes they won't have tears on, on your face, but maybe the Holy Spirit will lead you to them. So I'm thankful for my wife, Melissa. She did an awesome job in that situation. Just like, I don't want to do this. I'm exhausted, but I, but I got to seek the one. And that's what we do here as a church to seek the one. So good job, Melissa, with that. Okay, so we are going to jump into week two of our series on Daniel. And I've called this message, Seven Ways to Thrive in a Crisis. Seven Ways to Thrive in a Crisis. Because all of us now have recently been through a crisis, Right? We have recently been through the national crisis of the pandemic. Do you remember that? I want you to picture in your mind, go back in time to March of 2020. Do you remember that? Somebody's already like, ugh, I heard that. Did you get that picked up on the, if you're online? Ugh, you can type that in online, ugh, right? March 2020, March 11th, do you remember that? It, it just came across the news. Tom Hanks has covid Oh my gosh, like a national treasure is in Australia on quarantine. Do you remember this? So people started freaking out. Then there was a, a basketball game, an NBA game that got canceled at halftime. Like the season was over and we're like, what just happened? Do you remember this? And we're all trying to think through it and figure out what's going on in this, this crisis that's happening. And then I remember Friday, March 13th. You remember that Friday the 13th? Way scarier than any movie. Jared Polis came on and said, okay, everything's going to have to shut down. And I remember just thinking like, we have to make some decisions about this. Like, everything's shutting down. Everybody's staying home. There's no toilet paper anywhere. <laughs> you remember that? Everybody was freaking out, stressed, anxious. We don't know what's going on. And it was a crisis. We all lived through that crisis. And I hope all of us learn from that crisis. Because what we're going to learn today is from Daniel himself about how to thrive in a crisis, which is what he did. And hopefully we don't face another pandemic in our lifetimes. Like, hopefully it's our great-grandkids who deal with the next one, right? But we might face another national crisis, but we will all likely face a personal or family crisis at some point. Some of you right now are in those crises. 
those crises. And if you are, this message is like for you in this moment. And if that's you, like, I'll pray with you afterwards. Send me an email. Like, we'll talk. We'll try to help you through it right now. But for the rest of us, we need to learn and prepare for the next one. We really do. There was um, a flight instructor who was asked, like, why do pilots spend so much time on flight simulators? Like, hours and hours. Why do you guys spend so much time on these flight simulators practicing? The flight instructor made it clear. He said, well... In a time of crisis, you don't raise to the moment. You don't rise to the moment. You fall to the level of your training. That's what you do. What you have trained for, what you've prepared for, that's who you become in those moments. We don't like rise up and all of a sudden, I'm going to do it right, okay? It's what we've trained for and prepared for. So I'm hoping that this message will prepare you for a future crisis. For some of you, you need it right now. I get that. But others of you, we need to think ahead and we need to be ready because it will happen. We know that, right? We remember. We remember. And some of us did good things. Some of us did not so good things. We can look back and learn from our own mistakes. But let's learn from Daniel right now to thrive in a crisis. Thrive in a crisis. So we're going to be in Daniel chapter 2 today. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open with me to Daniel chapter 2. If you have your smartphone, you can open up to the, the YouVersion Bible app, and on the bottom right-hand corner, there's these three horizontal lines. Press that button, and about halfway in the middle, it says events. You can search for the Arise Church Denver event right in there and see the scripture we're looking at. Take notes right in there, and you can save right on your phone in that app. We're going to be in Daniel chapter 2, and I want to start in verse 1 so we can be oriented to what's happening in this, and then I'll kind of help you review in case you missed week one of our series. In verse 1 of Daniel chapter 2, we read, In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled, and he could not sleep. Verse 2, so the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. Let's tell him what he had dreamed. Okay, we're going to stop there for just a minute. So what is going on here? Nebuchadnezzar is the king of kings. Seriously, that's what he gets called even in this chapter. He's the king of kings because he was an emperor who raised up an empire, the Babylonian empire, that took over all of the known Middle East in those days. It conquered over many nations, including Israel. And when they did that, they took some of God's people that were living there, people like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and a bumblebee. Remember? (laughs) Those guys, those four guys, plus thousands of others, and they transported them to live as exiles in Babylon. Exiles in Babylon, including Daniel and his friends, we saw they were probably made eunuchs against their will and forced as teenagers to learn the language of the Babylonians, the religion of the Babylonians. They were given new names to get rid of their identity as part of the people of God. And there they were, and we learned last week that they were forced to do all these things. They couldn't do anything about the name they were given. They couldn't do anything about the place they lived, about even, you know, being eunuchs. But they were like, we have one thing that we have control over that we can be different with, and they ate vegetables for three years. Just because they wanted to stand out and say, we are different from everybody else. And we learned last week, be different to make a difference. Very simple. If you just go along with the flow and conform to everyone else in the society around us, in the Babylon that we live in, if you do that, you will never make a difference in society. We think we will, but it's not. The truth is, if you're different, even if you're weird, (laughs) that's how you make a difference. And that's what we learned from them last week. So now we come, it says, in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign. 
Now, it's interesting because last week we saw in chapter one is that these four young guys, these teenagers, trained for three years. This was their high school experience, right? Get ready to serve the king as his wise men in his council. But it says in year two. Now, some people, some scholars have said, well, maybe the Babylonians, like, counted the first year of a king's reign, like, when it was the first full year, so maybe the third year matches up with the second year here. That, that's possible. It's possible. But I don't think so. And I actually maybe am you know, not going with the majority of Bible scholars here, but I think when it says second year, it's telling us this was right in the middle or two-thirds of the way through the training of Daniel and his friends. They were being trained. They were being schooled. They were being indoctrinated into the Babylonian religion. And during that time, while they're in high school, this event that happens in chapter 2 happens. I'll tell you why for two reasons. One, it's actually very common in the Bible that this does this. Page 1 of the Bible, Genesis 1, God created the heavens and the earth in seven days. Chapter 2, here's what happened on day 6. It goes back to day 6 to say how God created Adam and Eve. Okay? The Bible often does this. Here's the overview. Now let's go backwards to look at it what happened during that time. I think the same thing is happening here. The second reason is because the the king actually summons all of his advisors, right? We saw that in verse 2. He summoned everybody, but Daniel and his friends are not there. So I think it's because they were still in school. They weren't quite to the level yet. So that's what I think. It doesn't really matter one way or the other, but that's what I think is going on. Either way, these guys are still teenagers, 15-year-olds, 16-year-olds, And the king, the king of kings, who had all power, all money, all authority in the entire Middle East, had dreams. These dreams come to him, and they freak him out. They're terrifying. They're scaring him. And it says dreams, maybe this is happening again and again and again in one night or over and over again. And because of it, he couldn't sleep. He's an insomniac. He's freaking out. He's angry. He brings in all the people who are the smartest people in the world. The smartest people spiritually, intellectually, the astrologers. He brings all of them in and he says, okay, I want you to tell me about this dream. He wants to know. It's so vivid. Maybe some of you have had this. You've had a dream so vivid you're like, that was too weird. I think it's more than just my imagination, right? What is going on here? And God can and does talk through dreams. Okay, this is a little bonus point for you. Throughout the Bible, God speaks through dreams, So yes, God can speak through your dreams today. It's the same God yesterday as he is today and tomorrow. And he does this. Um, We've shared before a dream that Melissa had in 2015 when we couldn't for five years get pregnant. We couldn't get pregnant at all. No pregnancies at all. And Melissa has this dream about having twins, a boy and a girl. And she woke up in the morning and wrote it in her journal. We showed this to you a few years ago, the journal page from 2015. And then little did we know in the end of 2019, boom, God gives us twins, a boy and a girl. Sometimes God gives you these dreams. Some of you are like, oh, that's just chance. Maybe, or maybe it's God, okay? Maybe it's God. Because she doesn't write down all her dreams, let me tell you this, okay? But sometimes God does speak in those ways, and that's what God did even to a pagan, demonic-worshipping king. Gives him these dreams to freak him out. God does this. So they bring in the smartest, the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, the astrologers, and he's like, tell me, about the dream. And they're like, fine, we can easily do that. Tell us what the dream was, and we'll interpret it for you. And Nebuchadnezzar's like, no, no, no. You tell me my dream, and then you interpret it. And they're like, no, 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 king. We can interpret your dream. Just tell it to us. And this kind of goes back and forth and back and forth, because these guys are like, it's a lot easier to interpret a dream when you know what it is, right? (laughs) 
And it is. Okay, this is an interesting thing. There are books today that are from different religions of the world that can help you interpret your dreams. And what happens when you read these books, it's very, very vague symbols. Okay, some of you know what I'm talking about because you've, you've dabbled in some of this stuff. But if you see it, it's like fortune cookies, right? I mean, this, this is what magicians, palm readers, tarot card readers, mind readers today, these astrologers, they, they're like, oh, you will run into someone today that you did not expect. Oh my gosh, how'd you know I'd run into my dentist at the grocery store? But they don't because they're so vague. And if you're very vague with these things, it's easier for them to be fulfilled, okay? So that's what these guys want to do. Just tell us the dream and we can definitely give you a vague interpretation. But he's like, no, 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 no. He's smart, okay? He might be an evil dictator who's terrible, but he's smart. And he's like, no, no, no. If you tell me the dream I had, then I'll know the interpretation is correct too. Because I am freaked out about this. I don't want your mumbo jumbo. I don't want your astrology. I can read those books myself. I want to know you know what's going on. They go back and forth and back and forth. And finally, in verse 10, the astrologers answered the king in verse 10. He says, there is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. And guess what? They're right. <laughs> Nobody can do it. Nobody can mind read, okay? Mind reading is impossible. Husbands, wives, you cannot read each other's minds, okay? It's a little bonus point for you, okay? You can't read anybody's minds, and they get this. So then in verse 12, this made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. And if you read uh, a few verses prior, he was going to execute them by ripping them limb from limb. Very pleasant. And if you're thinking, oh, that's exaggerated. No, it's not. There was actually a king of Persia around this time who one of their bridges fell down, so he executed every single engineer in the entire country. This is what they did. They're like, we're mad. Everybody's gone. Wipe them all out. This is a very common thing. So he's like, okay, let's kill every single wise person, enchanter, astrologer. They are worthless. They cannot do what I need. Kill them all. Execution. So this is the crisis facing Daniel and his friends, right? You guys see this? This is a life and death crisis. There is an order for execution from the king. There is no trial by jury, okay? There's no habeas corpus in these days. They cannot go and just say, hey, we're going to get a good, good lawyer. Okay, no, no, no. They are going to get executed by the king. And because Daniel and his friends were either in training or had just finished training, depending on the timeline, they're going to get executed as well. Do you see the crisis they're in? It's life and death. Some of you have faced life and death crises. It's a health scare. It's cancer. It's someone you know that is going to die. And these crises freak you out. Maybe it's the national crisis we talked about, the pandemic. Maybe it's some other thing that you're going to be facing. But I want you to think about the crises that come upon us because from Daniel, we're going to learn about them. Now, we, we've read this whole series as thriving in the fire because when we live in a nation like Babylon, like the United States, that we are the minority as Christians, it's hard. And it's especially hard in Babylon, but this really applies to anybody, doesn't it? Like anybody that's looking forward to crisis, we need to learn the seven things that, ba that Daniel teaches us in this chapter. We can watch him, learn from his example, to learn these seven items for how we can survive and in a crisis, and not just survive, but thrive. So you should take notes on this one. I'm serious. 
And if you're like, seven, how are we going to get through seven? Let's go quick, okay? Pay attention. We're going to move quick on this. The seven ways to thrive in a crisis. One, use tact. Use tact. This is what it says in verse 14. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, this is like the chief executioner, basically, right? When he comes, and when he had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and what? Tact. This is the wisdom to use words right. It's not just what you say, but how you say them. Tact is so important. A lot of the Proverbs in the Bible itself teach us tact. How do we talk? What do we say? When do we say it? And it's so important in this situation, and Daniel showed this, and you can even see as we keep reading, he spoke to him with wisdom and tact, and in verse 15, it says, he asked the king's officers, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? And Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. Notice how he starts with a question. If your life was on the line, would you calmly ask a question? Like, oh, what's going on here? I can tell you what I would do. I'd be freaking out. I'd be stressed. I'd be worried. I'd be angry. Like, how could you kill me? I wasn't even there. I was in training. Like, give me a chance. Give me one more year. Then I can finish. And then try to execute me then, right? You'd be angry. You'd be arguing. You'd be fighting. And that's what we do when we're under pressure of a crisis. But Daniel shows us that actually we need to learn to use tact. That when we talk to people, we have to be wise about how we do it. What are we saying? How are we saying it? I remember when we had to make a mask decision here at the church. I think I've shared this before, a mask decision. And I don't, you know, whether it was putting on the mask, taking them off, recommended, encouraged, all all that stuff, right? Do you remember all the masking decisions? The city was saying this, the mayor said this, the president said that, the governor said this, and sometimes they didn't line up. The CDC said something else. The FDA, who knows, why are they weighing in? Like, there's all these decisions about what to do with masks. And we made a decision with our board here. And there was a woman who called me up the next day And she did not tell me all the reasons why I made a good decision, right? You can just imagine this conversation as she calls me up on the phone. Tells me not so politely why I'm wrong. And do you know what I did? Thanks for sharing that with me. Mm. No, I didn't. I told her all the reasons why she was wrong. And we made a good decision. And then she hung up on me. This is all what you want your pastor to do for you, right? It was a, yeah. And I realized I messed up, so I asked her if we could talk again the next day, and she graciously gave me a second chance. I called her up, and the second day I said, okay, I felt like you had more to say. Just tell me what you're thinking and why you're thinking it. So she went on a long tirade. She was angry at first, right? I can't believe you did this, and la, 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 la. And then as she kept going, she calmed down a little bit. And when she finished, I said, well, what else? Like, is there anything more? She's like, no, I think that was it. I was like, Okay. I was like, well, what do you think we should do? She says, well, no, I figure you're going to make that decision. I just needed to get it off my chest. <laughs> I was like, okay, thanks. And we were able to talk through, you know, a slight little compromise to help her and make her feel better. And it was fine. And I was like, I'm glad she gave me a second chance because I learned in that moment that I needed to use tact. Even just to calmly talk with her. And the proverb says, a soft word turns away wrath. Somebody might be so angry at you, freaking out because... It's a crisis for them, too. And if you can just be calm. Maybe if you can ask questions. My mentor has taught me a a superb question that I want to pass on to you. Just say, help me understand. 
And someone's freaking out. Help me understand what's going on here. Help me understand. Because then they become your ally. They're on your side. They're helping you understand what's going on. And now you've turned a situation through tact that you were enemies and now you're together. So use tact. That's the first thing we learn from these guys. And if you're wondering, how do I develop tact? One, read the Proverbs. Okay, there's so much about tact in the Proverbs. Read them every day. There's 31 chapters in Proverbs. Read one a day every month for the next year and you'll get an MBA. Okay. It's that good. You'll learn tact. You'll lose wisdom. Um, also, that I would just say this. Okay, I, I want to say this. If you're young, okay, talk to some people that are older than you. Say, here, I'm about to have a crazy situation. I'm in this crisis at work. Help me talk through it. Can we run some scenarios? And, and somebody that's older might be able to help you, especially if you're younger. Like, you guys are so good with your phones, but maybe face-to-face, struggle a little bit. Talk to someone older. Older people, talk to the younger people if you're going to send a text message, okay? <laughs> Should I use this emoji? No. Definitely don't use that one, okay? We're not having eggplant for dinner. Like, let's just move on from, okay. So we got to learn from each other with this, tact. And we got to learn the tact, whether it's from the young people to the digital age, from the older people for in person. We've got to learn tact. Okay, so that's the first thing, use tact. The second thing that we need to do is to buy time. Second thing. You want to thrive in a crisis, buy time. Look what, Daniel then asks, he says, he asked the king's officer, verse 15, or I'm sorry, verse 16, at this, Daniel went into the king and asked for what? Time. He asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. See, a lot of times in a crisis, you feel this urgency. Make the decision. Do something right now. You've got to do it. It's a crisis. Who knows what's going to happen? You've got to make a decision quickly. And the urgency, and other people's urgency will make you feel even more urgent. Sometimes you have to make a decision that quick. But a lot of times you can buy some time. Give me a day to think about it. Can I get back to you in a week? You'll be amazed that people are like, yeah, we can take another night to think about it. Melissa was so helpful in the pandemic with this because I was always wanting to make a decision. And she's like, just, just wait. You'll get more information the longer you wait. People respond to emails, especially right now, okay? If you make a decision on Saturday about church, they're going to be Okay. They're going to be, okay, just take as much time as you can. You can get more information. You can learn more. You can think about it more. You can pray about it more. So, so just buy time whenever possible. If, if your spouse tells you, I want a divorce, don't be like, okay, let's sign right now. You're like, hey, let's take some time to think about this. Can I have 30 days? Then go buy the love dare. Or, or just come talk to me. I got a bunch of copies of it. And do what it says for the next 30 days, okay? See if you can buy some time in your relationship. Seriously, just buy time as much as you can so that you can make a wise decision. By time. Here's the third thing. Lean on your team. This is the third way to thrive in a crisis. Lean on your team. Verse 17 says, Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Shadrach, Meshach, and a bumblebee, right? He's like, explains it to them. He's like, we got to talk about this. I need some help. I can't figure this out on my own. I am not a lone ranger. Even Daniel, who's the hero of this book, gets a book of the Bible named after him. He needs his team. And you need your team too. You do. You need a team. You need help. Um, could you guys stand up for a second? <laughs> could you guys stand up for a second? If we're supposed to lean on our team, I want you to put an arm around the shoulder of the person next to you. And we're going to sing a little song together. Do you guys remember this from camp? Lean on me when you're not strong. 
and I'll be your friend. I'll help you carry on for it won't be long till I'm gonna need somebody to lean on. All right, that's good. You guys can have a seat. That was good, guys. We got to lean on each other, okay? Yeah, you can have, you guys have a seat, okay? You got to lean on each other. And it was amazing to so many of us over the pandemic, the team we thought we had wasn't the team we still have. Have you noticed this? I think this happened to so many of us. We were just at a pastor's conference and like every pastor had the same notes. Some people we thought were with us and our allies are gone. They disappeared. We thought they were there for us, but when things got tough or you made a decision they disagreed with, they were gone. Even they were your enemies. So it happens. And what this tells me is we need a bigger team than we actually need. You guys tracking with me? We need more people on our team because in those moments of crisis, some people will abandon you. It happened to Jesus. It can happen to you. We need a bigger team because we're going to need it in those moments. It used to be a few decades ago when they polled people and said, hey, if it's the middle of the night and you have an emergency, you have a crisis, who do you call? How many people do you have on your list? A few decades ago, the number was five. Today, zero. That's the average. Zero. Most people have no one, and some of you figured this out so clearly even right now, you're struggling. You need a team. And if you look to the left and right, that's why I had you guys do that. You're getting a little bit closer. There are people on your team here. We're on your team. I'm on your team. You need a community group. You need to be in a group in our church. Mops, women's ministry, men's ministry. You need a team around you. And you've got to develop those relationships long before you actually need them. You're investing in it. That's why we're training so that when the crisis hits, we know what to do. We can lean on our team. We have that team around us to help us. So lean on your team. That's the third thing we learned from Daniel. The fourth thing that we learned, the fourth way to thrive in a crisis is to turn to God in prayer. Turn to God in prayer. Verse 18, Daniel urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Plead for mercy. We don't deserve it, but God, give us some help. This is a dead end. We have to be able to read someone's mind, which is not humanly possible, interpret the dream in order to not be murdered, torn limb from limb. That's a crisis. And yet, they say plead for mercy. Because when you get in those moments of crisis, you're like, there's no way out of this. There's no good solution. It's bad, bad, bad on every side. Plead for mercy. Turn to God in prayer. That's what we have to do in those moments. It's the only way forward. And they're doing this together as a group because where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I with them, Jesus said. Let's do it together. Text some people, I need some prayer. Your team, hey, I need some prayer. Text your community group, I need some prayer. Pray for this situation. I remember we faced a crisis when I first moved here back in 2017 to lead this church. I found out just a few months in that we had no money. In fact, it was worse than that. We were $40,000 in debt. Our credit cards were maxed out. The bank wouldn't give us a loan, and we were three weeks away from not being able to pay our bills. There's no way out of that, right? And do you know what I did? I prayed. I literally got on my knees. I'm not a kneel guy, okay? I know a lot of people pray on their knees. I don't, sorry. But I did. And I remember because McKinley was just a few months old, and I would go in in the middle of the night when she would wake up, and I'd say, I'll take this because I'm already awake anyways. And I would get on my knees, I'd put one hand on her because it would calm her, and I would stay there praying 
that God would help us in our church. We got together with our elders at the time. We prayed. We were on our knees praying. And that's what it took to get us through that, that financial crisis at the time. Some of you remember. Some of you, God put it in your heart to give generously. And you're like, why would I give generously? I just started coming to this church. But you did. And we got out of that mess. We were debt-free within nine months. God provided. And I think it's because we spent so much time praying because we had nothing else to do. What else can we do? we got to pray. And we have to do the same thing. We have to turn to God for prayer. Here's the fifth thing we learn from Daniel. Number five, thank God throughout. Do not be anxious about anything, but by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. While you're praying, while you're crying out for mercy, thank God throughout. In verse 19, I want to read this longer section, so so bear with me right here. It says, during the night, as they're praying at night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. He sees what the king sees. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven. He thanks him, and he says, praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He thanks him for that. Verse 21, he changes times and seasons, Daniel says about God. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. He's thanking God for who he is and what he does. And then in verse 23, he says, I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. He's thanking God, right? Throughout, he, at this point, he still has an execution order coming down. He hasn't talked to the king to make sure that this is the actual dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. And yet he's thanking God throughout. There is something that you have to thank God for, even in the midst of your crisis. How has he been good to you? Thank him. How is he good? Even if things don't feel good, thank him for that. How has he shown up in the past? Thank him for those things in the past. Thank him for how he will show up in the future. Yes, he will. We thank God. Thank God. Thank God throughout. That's the fifth thing we learn. Don't wait. The sixth thing we learn from Daniel. Don't take the credit. Don't take the credit. This has now been revealed to him and the next day with confidence. And if you guys want to know how you can stand with confidence, you pray on your knees before, right? Okay, that's how you can stand with confidence. And he goes in before the king. And in verse 26, it says, The king asked Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, that was the name given to him, Are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? Daniel replied, No wise man, enchanter, Magician or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he is asked about. Nobody can do it. It's not humanly possible. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He says, God's going to do it today. God did it. He doesn't say, look how smart I am. Look how faithful I am to pray on my knees with my friends. He doesn't say, I've trained so well as a faithful person of God, and now I'm ready for this. No. He says, God is the one who's going to show up today and do it. He doesn't take the credit. He doesn't take the credit. He's pointing it all back to God. He's deflecting all the credit back to God. And this is what we have to do. There's a great little story written uh, a number of years ago called Palm Monday. Palm Monday. <laughs> I love this story because it's about the donkey from Palm Sunday. Do you guys remember this story? When Jesus enters into Jerusalem, 
the week before he dies on that Sunday, he comes in riding a donkey, and people start praising him. Hosanna, Hosanna, save us, save us. Here comes the king. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. They're worshiping him. They take off their robes. They put it on the ground. They have palm branches. They're worshiping Hosanna, Hosanna. And Jesus rides on that donkey in. Well, Palm Monday tells the story about the donkey the next day. Because that donkey was like, huh, I'm going to go into Jerusalem again. And he walks on that same way into Jerusalem. Nobody notices him. Nobody says a thing to him. And he's looking around, what's going on? He goes up to the temple, walks around in the marketplace. He's like, what's going on? He goes back home complaining. Why aren't people shouting Hosanna? Why aren't they praising me? What's going on? And his mom looks at him and says, it's not about you. You were just the jackass God used. <laughs> Am I right? I'm telling you this because if God has ever done anything through you, if you have made it through a crisis, if you've made a good decision as a leader, if you've helped your family, prayed for another person, and God performed a miracle, you cannot take the credit because you were just the jackass God used. Can I get an amen for that? It's truth. Don't take the credit. Give it to God. Give God the credit. And what's amazing is that, I, I love this, uh, God gives this vision of what the dream is. And this is so good. I, I wanted to, to show this to you guys. What Nebuchadnezzar saw, and Daniel tells him this in the interpretation, is, is a statue. This giant statue with a head of gold. With a head of gold. And he tells him that the gold is, is the Babylonian prayer. You are the king of gold. Says to Babylon. That must have made Nebuchadnezzar feel good, okay? The, the shiniest metal on this whole statue, the best looking, the first and the most prominent, the head. You were the first empire. But there's another empire that's coming later, another kingdom, Daniel says. A kingdom of silver, which represents or is represented by the arms and the torso. It's not quite as nice of an empire, but it will be like with the arms. I'm gonna give you the best interpretation I can here. There is some debate, but these two arms represent the two parts of the empire because the next empire that took over after the Babylonians was the Medo-Persian Empire. Two empires came together to be actually even bigger and stronger than the Babylonians, and they took over. That's the silver. They weren't as fancy. They didn't build the, the hanging gardens like Nebuchadnezzar did, but they were powerful. But then there's a third kingdom, Daniel explains, that is to come. The bronze, torso, and thighs represent Greece, a kingdom even stronger would come through, led by Alexander the Great. They would come in, and they would wear armor of bronze. And they would defeat even the Persians and take over even a greater portion of the known world to rule over it. But then there'd be a fourth kingdom, Daniel says, of iron and clay for the, the legs and the feet. Clay mixed in the feet showing that it was a little bit brittle. Do you notice how each one's not quite as glamorous as the one before? But I think the iron clay, people debate this, but I think it's pretty clearly represent Rome because they used weapons of iron everywhere. And the legs, I don't know if you guys knew this about Rome, but there, there's this saying like all roads lead to Rome because they were the first ones to create an empire-wide road travel. Do you see that? And people could walk through there and carry messages all around the known empire. Now, when Daniel's telling this to Nebuchadnezzar at this time, which was in like 490-something B.C., or I'm sorry, 590-something uh, B.C., that was only in the empire of Babylon, right? 
He only tells them that, and he says these three kingdoms are to come. What's amazing is that that's what happened. And what he tells them, the other thing in this vision that he is explaining to the king what's happening is that he says, hey, there's going to be this last kingdom of iron legs and, and clay feet. And in those days, a rock will come, not hewn by human hands. A rock will come, smash those feet to pieces, and destroy the entire statue. All the empires are destroyed by this one stone that would come. And then that one stone would continue to grow and grow until it became a mountain to fill everything. Interesting, right? Because do you know what happened in the time of the Roman Empire? There was this man named Jesus who came. And he quoted a verse from the Old Testament. He said, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. A stone, not a human empire. But as Jesus explained to Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor of his day, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. And that stone was rejected. Pontius Pilate ordered his execution. That king was killed. And yet it became the cornerstone. And the church of Jesus Christ became another kingdom that grew and grew and grew so that a few hundred years after this, the entire Roman Empire became Christian. And all empires have paled in comparison to the 2.4 billion people that name the name of Christ today. The mountain keeps growing and growing and growing. And this was all predicted by Daniel 500 years before it happened. Amazing, right? Now, I'm telling you this because it leads to our seventh and final point today. When you're in a crisis, if you want to thrive, you need to trust the king above all kings. That's what Daniel did in this moment. This is what we have to do because this king will win out. This kingdom will endure forever. And Jesus will reign as the king above all kings forever and ever and ever. Amen. After he gives this interpretation, it says... Um, in verse 44, I want you guys to see this verse. Verse 44. Daniel said this, In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but will itself endure forever. It's the kingdom of God. Verse 46, it says, Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell. <laughs> now it's his turn to fall. He falls prostrate before Daniel. Now he's worshiping Daniel. He still doesn't get it at this point. And paid him honor and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. And the king said to Daniel, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. This was his dream, and its interpretation is true. Even Nebuchadnezzar at this point, he doesn't fully get it. He's going to actually get it in a couple chapters. You've got to stay tuned. But he doesn't get it. He just thinks Daniel's the king, right? But he's like, actually, your God must have something about him. He can do what no human being can do. Not even the great magicians and the worshipers of these other gods. They couldn't figure it out. They're the priests. They got nothing. But the king of kings got it. And that's why we need to learn to trust the king of kings. Because let me tell you, no matter what crisis you face or our country faces, there is a kingdom that will endure. And there is a king who is in charge, who will get you through it. And even if things go poorly for you, and you do get ripped limb from limb 
You will reign forever if you have trusted that King of Kings, Jesus himself. That's what we get to trust you. No matter the crisis we face, no matter what happens, that's the most important lesson of today, guys. And if you forget the other six, just remember this one. Trust the King of Kings, because he's the King above all kings. So I hope in this message today, you've learned something that would prepare you and train you for the next crisis you face in your personal life, and our national life. And maybe it's just one of these things that you need to start working on. You're like, I don't have a team. Or I don't have tact. I say things way too bluntly and make a lot of people mad. Maybe just pick one of those that you're saying, I'm going to focus on this, and I'm going to get better at this, so that when the next crisis comes, I'm ready. But let's all trust the king above all kings. Okay, so... um, uh, we're going to do a couple more things here in our service. So last week, if you weren't here, we had a few baptisms. They were awesome. And you guys, it's the first service, 9 a.m. You missed them all. They were all second service baptisms. So you guys got to start bringing in your friends so they can come to Christ, okay? Let's do this. Some of you maybe need to go public with your faith. But we, we got to hear some of their stories in the second service. So we wanted to share one from Julia, who I think fits really well with, with our story today. And then we're going to wrap things up. We're going to sing a song, and we're going to take communion together today. So let's watch this video from Julia. My name is Julia, and I've only been at Arise Church for a couple months. Before Christ, I was very much into astrology, witchcraft, divination, um, speaking, trying to speak with the dead, and so I didn't know any better, and I thought that it was normal to have crazy nightmares all the time and see black orbs, and I don't know, life was just a bit chaotic. What actually introduced me to Jesus was learning about him in a way that actually wasn't true, but it it made me think, oh, who is he? And I went and actually watched a video on YouTube that explained the gospel to me. And I was like, wow. (laughs) And so I just kept going down the rabbit hole and learning and I got a Bible. And I believe that I need the covering and the cleansing that a baptize will bring to my life because I feel Jesus so present in my life but I also feel that there's something missing in a way and I felt God speak to me it's time (laughs) to get baptized you know Jesus himself got baptized I believe that it's an important part of it's going to be an important part of how my faith grows and so now I, I, I don't see those black orbs I don't involve myself in in evil things anymore. I was doing it unknowingly before and now that I have knowledge and wisdom surrounding it, I can I can always turn to God for my questions and my needs rather than like any anything else. I have a strong feeling <laughs> that that something will shift in my life when I do get baptized. <laughs> Julia, do you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Yes. Okay, I'm going to ask you a second question. It's the traditional question. I used to ask it all the time, but I think it's important today. Do you renounce the works of the devil? Therefore, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. Wasn't that cool to hear that story? And Julia's up here uh, singing with us today. Isn't that cool? It's amazing because we have a king above all kings. 
and of all the forces in the world because there are demonic forces. Our king is stronger than them. And his kingdom puts all the kings of the world to shame because it will crush them all and it itself will endure forever. That's the kingdom of our Lord and God because Jesus was the king of kings who came riding on the donkey to be worshiped and praised, but then he knew that he would also die for our sins. A king willing to give his life for us. Completely different than Nebuchadnezzar, right? But Jesus did that to die in our place. And we know when we trust him as the king of kings, our sins are forgiven. And we know that when he rose from the dead on the third day, he proved to us that when we believe in him, we will reign with him forever. That's why we trust the king above all kings. And so let's sing this song together. Would you please stand to your feet? Let's sing this song to the King of Kings and worship him.